20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is going on, Packer fans? Welcome in to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast along with Packers Wire. I'm joined once again by the one and only Paul Brettel. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Paul, the Packers aren't winning football games. I'm not happy about it. I'm bringing you on so that you can tell us all why and fix all of the world's problems. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Like I always say, I really appreciate these conversations. And I just want to say I was listening to – with the show that you do with Aaron Nagler each week. And at the start of it, there's something you said that, man, it just really hit home. I believe it's something to the effect of debating and doing a uh, live post game show. And you're sitting there thinking about what you're going to talk about. And you're like, what is there new to talk about? And that hit me so hard because after the game, try to knock out at least two articles and sometimes three. And I just kind of sat here and stared at the screen and I was thinking about, well, we could talk about the lack of a deep ball. I wrote about that last week. There's not a lot. There's a ton of chaos going around uh, on around Jordan Love. I could write about that. I did that before the bye. The pass yeah. rush wasn't very good. I wrote about that, too. Like, it's just it's Groundhog's Day, man. We are just kind of going through the same thing over and over and over again. No, for sure. And that's exactly where I was at right after the game is I was just like – going to like post the show and I'm like, I, I have nothing new to add to this conversation. And yeah, you know, I was going to record with Perry and Alex later that night. And like, you know, Perry and Alex are like, well, can when can we go? I'm like, I need till eight 30 at least because I need to really digest everything and really have something to bring to. And I was obviously able to watch the condensed version at that mm-hmm. time and put some thoughts into motion of like, okay. And you know, here's what happened. And there were some differences and some nuances, which I'm sure some of which we'll get to today, but yeah, no, it took a hot second because I had that deer in headlights version of like, Same. we've talked about all of this ad nauseum and even going back to some of the things until last year. And it's like, all right, we got we to figure out, you know, not not just something different to talk about because you don't want to, you know, change the change the tune just for the sake of changing the tune. If it's real, it's real. You want to talk about it. But um, but you don't also want to be a broken record, but right. yeah, it's been, it, it's been a struggle, uh, but it's been, it's been interesting to say the least. And like I said, we'll try to unearth more of green Bay's problems, mm-hmm. try to figure out what's going on. The, the one that I wanted to spend the most time on, you know, with you on today, because I'll be totally transparent. I don't have a great answer for it. And I'm hoping like heck you do. And that's really these first half issues for the green Bay Packers, because, the numbers, as you know, are abysmal. They can't they can't score in the first half of games going back to the Saints game. I, I don't exactly know what to make of it. They're obviously going through their scouting reports. They're looking at things to target. All of it comes down to the same general basic things that we've been talking about with blocking and tackling and complementary football and whatever direction we want to go in. But is there anything that you can pin down as to why first halves are such an insane struggle for this team? <laughs> it's the million dollar question, isn't it? And the, yes. the easy part of it is to pick out all the things that aren't going well. And unfortunately, that's because there's a lot of it. There's the offensive line play, as, as we've talked about the run game. They don't have it to lean on. I mean, in Denver, they're dropping seven in coverage. Four guys are getting home. Like, what's Love supposed to do in that situation? What's Matt LaFleur supposed to dial up in those scenarios? The wide receivers, there's still, you know, several examples each game where 
the the right routes aren't being ran. You see guys on top of each other. This group, and we saw this last year too with Dobbs and Watson. Uh, you know, physical secondaries like that gives that group difficulty to fight through that throws off the timing of the route where Jordan Love expects them to be drop passes contested catches like that that wide receiver room is not doing Jordan Love any favors and you know the at the root of it all I know you've talked about this it's the consistency there's just every play it seems like there's at least one person who is not doing what they're supposed to do and unfortunately far too often (laughs) the mistakes within the given play are not something that can be covered up like these are big time errors that, that are occurring and just it it absolutely derails everything. You know, Matt LaFleur was talking on Monday about the the opening script and I'm sure everyone's familiar with that term and you kind of, you watch the film of the opponent, look at what do they tend to do early on in the game and you know not trying to be predictable, but you build build your game plan around all right, how can how can we exploit that part of it? And I think we remember a few, I think it was two years ago now, remember on the opening script, the Packers were really, really good. Like they would come out in the first quarter, put up 10, 14 points fairly consistently, and then they'd have that second quarter lull. Well, it's the opposite this time around. They cannot figure out how to get going early on, even with that opening script. And I thought an an interesting point that Matt LaFleur made is, you know, like I said, they game plan all week for, all right, here's what Denver typically does in these situations early on. You build your game plan on how to attack it. And uh, Matt LaFleur said Denver did not do any of that. And that immediately threw him in the offense for a loop. He admitted he did not do, uh, not did not adjust quick enough, well enough to overcome that. And so something I've been thinking about, because the adjustment aspect of it, like that has been slow this entire season. Is it an inability to or an unwillingness to? And when I mean by unwillingness, because of the youth that they have. You know, I remember, I think it was before the Raiders game, Jordan Love talked about how unscouted looks have given the pass catchers on this team a uh, tough time. And you know, uh, ultimately, you know, if you don't see a look before, you don't really know how to react to it until you see it a few times. And so I wonder if that's a component of this and everything that we discussed today and in general, like there isn't just this one thing. I know we want to grab onto, all right, what's the one thing they got to fix? It's so many things. But I wonder if from that regard, if this the youth of this team and that they don't have the confidence and some maybe the ability to make those adjustments on the fly because it is going to be brand new for a lot of those players. And I feel like in part that's coming back to a, uh, a more vanilla offense, you know, that, yeah, we see motion, but there's motion and then there's motion that has a purpose. And I don't feel like we're necessarily seeing that aspect of it. And, you know, it's, it's almost as if they're trying to, you know, I don't I don't know if I want to use the word like outthink or, you know, outthink what the opponents are doing. And then it's just robotic. And what you're asking these guys to do is maybe not as natural as what it needs to be. But there's just so much that's going on. And and ultimately, I think a lot of it does go back to the youth. Like I said, that adjustment aspect of it, the you know, just the attention to detail that isn't there. And like Razul Douglas said, like you can't you can't rely on that. Like you have to see improvement. And then again, that goes back to the coaching side of it. Like, yeah, you can have the best game plan possible, but if the players aren't able to execute on it, is it a teaching aspect of it? Is it that you're asking more of them than what they should be asked to do given where they're at in their careers. Like it's very much a chicken or the egg scenario. And one other aspect I want to touch on, I don't think that we're going to see consistent improvement until the deep ball gets better. You know, I look back at 2022 
And early on in the season, Watson Dobbs, they're battling their injuries. Like defenses did not respect the deep ball then. They don't respect it now. Makes moving the ball over the middle of field. Like they came out against Denver trying to um, execute on those short area throws. And on paper, like you get why. You're trying to get some completions for an offense that's so bad in second and long, third and long. Like pick up five, six yards, stay ahead of the sticks, make it manageable. Like that makes sense. But that that's a tool in your tool belt. You know, you don't show up to the job site with a hammer and say, I'm going to build a house. Like, that's one of the tools that you have to lean on. And it's a tough way to live. There's not as much space to operate within because defenses don't fear the deep ball. So that yards after the catch potential just isn't there. Uh, on the, you know, if we look at the Packers defense and what it's built around, you know, you want opponents to put together 10, 12, 13 play drives. Why? Because it's hard to do. You're banking on either you're going to make a play or they're going to make a mistake. So flip back to the Packers offense, they're going to make a mistake. Like maybe they could do that once a game and give you a touchdown, but you can't do that consistently. So I really don't think things are going to improve until they become more, con- you know, relatively consistent in terms of what consistent looks like from a deep ball perspective, because that's just going to open up opportunities elsewhere in the run game uh, for other pass catchers. So I think that is that and the offensive line play are kind of the two core reasons behind what they're experiencing right now. But again, what do you do to go back and fix that? What do you do to get more consistency? I mean, it feels like it's in the game plan. It feels like it's in the the, the practice and what Matt LaFleur is asking of them. And this is by no means me putting all of that burden on Matt LaFleur either. You know, I think he's a little hamstrung as well in terms of what he's trying to dial up. But it sounds like coach speak when he's up there going, all 11 guys got to be better. We got to be on the same page. I got to do a better job as a play caller. But that's like 100% the truth of what the Packers are experiencing right now. No, I'm with you. And there's so many amazing things that you said. But the, the thing that really stuck out to me was that, all right, so they, they, they have the whole bye week to game plan for the Broncos, right? And they have an idea of what the Broncos are going to run. And then the Broncos come out and they do something entirely different and they don't adjust to it very well, admittedly so by, by Matt LaFleur. I think it's worth remembering Green Bay wasn't the only one with extended time off here. Denver had extended time off because they, if I remember correctly, they played Thursday night football the week before. Did they yeah. not? Yeah. So they played Thursday night football the week before. So they had plenty of time off. Also uh, Denver's entire call sheet was out to the world. If I remember correctly as well, the week before. So I'm sure they took some extra time to, on both offense and defense to sort of change some things up and make sure that they weren't running the same stuff as normal. And I'm sure they did a little bit of a self scout as well. My issue so much with this team right now is on exactly what you mentioned of they go out and they have a game plan to beat what the opposing team is going to show them, but you don't know what the opposing team is going to show you on any Sunday. They've had extended rest or not a team. Like I remember there was a time against Chicago where they were a heavy Tampa two team. It was actually the, the Super Bowl year. Um, when they had to win their last game against Chicago to get into the playoffs. And they were a heavy Tampa 2 team. And Chicago, remember, didn't have much to play for in that game, but they still tried to kind of kind of eliminate Green Bay in that game. They couldn't do it. Green Bay got the win. But they didn't do their normal Tampa 2. They played a, a ton of press man in that game. And Green Bay was not ready for that because Chicago always played that Tampa 2 style of defense. And it really took them a while to kind of get out of it. You just don't know what any team's going to try against you in any given week. And my issue being is that you cannot set all of your chips on game planning your way to a victory. And you certainly can't game plan your way to a Super Bowl. You have to be 
a good football team. You have to you have to have your own bread and butter of things that you do well consistently and that the other team has to game plan the crap out of so they know how to stop you. And it feels like Green Bay is always going into these games with like this harebrained scheme to figure out how they can get a couple of really unique plays and some you know things going. And I'm not saying that in, in its entirety is a terrible thing that they're trying to figure out some ways that they can exploit the defense. But in my, I guess, my whatever opinion, some of the best teams that do this, they start off by running their core stuff in different formations. They'll show a different motion. They'll maybe bring in a different sort of set, but they're kind of running the same stuff, sort of what Matt considers the illusion of complexity of we're running a lot of our stuff. We're just doing it in different ways. And when you're doing that, you're noticing of like, oh, we went in two tight ends, two wide receivers and a running back, and they went with nickel. They went with a soft nickel. Huh. I bet we can run on that later. Or you run a stretch play early and you're like, oh, they sold out for that stretch. We can come back later and we can do a, a bootleg off of that. Or like you're you're evaluating based on some of the different stuff that you're putting in those first 15 plays where you're still running your core stuff, but you're also getting a snapshot of what they are doing defensively. So now all of that game planning of like, if they do this, then we do this. If they do this, then we do this. Now you can put in game those plays in of like, ah, all right, there it is. Now we can adjust to that later. And based on what they're actually giving you in the game, rather than basing everything that you're going to do on what you think they are going to do against you. And it all goes back to like the bread and butter of what your team needs to be. This Mm -hmm. team has zero bread and butter of what they can do. And you hit on the deep ball passing. They can't run the ball. They're not a great blocking team. I mentioned in that that post game. Well, actually, there's the post game chat with, with Alex and Perry. Like, I don't know what you look at the play sheet if you're Matt Lafleur and feel like that's it. We can run this play because the screen's not working, the run game's not working, the play action's not working, the deep game's not working. And to your point, they might be able to string together a couple seven, eight yard plays here and there, but you're usually going to have a shoot yourself in the foot play mixed in, and you're just all of a sudden off the field three and out, five and out, whatever it might be. And it's just such a grind for this very young offense. Mm-hmm. I think you made a lot of a lot of great points there, and in particular the you know there it's tough to have an identity if you're constantly changing week to week like who you are. And yeah, like you said, to a degree you have to you you'd have to do that. You game plan for who you're playing, but we don't have any core concepts to lean on. And one other interesting thing, I think, just to give us some perspective on the timeline, whether this timeline's right or wrong, we'll leave that up for debate. But Matt LaFleur said on Monday, the the obviously he wants to see progress, but there's still a, or a process that they're going through to figure out, you know, how to put these receivers in particular, I think he was referring to, in the best positions. He's still There's still a learning curve that's going on right now for the coaching staff to figure out, all right, how do we got to utilize these guys and put them in positions to be successful? Who can run these type of routes best versus those type of routes? And so I think that just gives a little extra perspective on where things are and that, you know, like you mentioned, building the game plan specifically around who you're playing. I feel like that is not just this season, but we've seen that throughout Lafleur's tenure here, something that sticks out to me is uh, last season like when they were struggling in the red zone sometimes you got to be the one doing the dictating like defenses it's already a confined space so they're loading the box because they want the Packers to pass their passing game wasn't very strong but it wasn't strong enough to lean on either and so you can you bang your head into the wall repeatedly running into eight band boxes constantly no 
But if the defense gives you a look to take away the run, you can't just throw your hands up and go, well, I guess we're not running today. Yeah. You know, you, as the offensive, as the play caller, you got to do some of the dictating. And I, I, I very much agree that I think that's something that's that's missing right now. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And then you can get ready for football and fun Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza. Pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it. And more importantly than anything else, always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is, in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love Crazy bread, love, love, love crazy bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get crazy bread. And speaking of winning, Literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? In college, I personally dealt with an addiction that was tough to get over. And while my mind kept telling me to do the right things and I wanted to do the right things, it was always hard trying to make the right choices in real time. What I eventually found out was that therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back and how to work for yourself instead of against yourself. Therapy has helped me with my past struggles and helped make me a better person today for my friends and my family. Therapy has helped me learn my trigger points, my destructive habits, and what positive steps to take to ensure that those negative behaviors turn into positive ones. If you're even thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be catered to your schedule and flexible to your individual needs. The best part is that BetterHelp is so easy to sign up for. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time time for no additional charge. Make your brain your best friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash packaday. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It very much is. And I, I just look at it too of like, you know, people want to know like why is some of this stuff not working and why are the wide receivers maybe not getting as open as you'd like? And, and you mentioned it like 
if you're a defensive coordinator right now, you, you don't have to honor the run all that much. And we saw that a lot against Denver. They did not honor Green Bay's play action game whatsoever. They're like, if you run the ball, so be it. We'll, we'll be fine. And they didn't really bite on, and, on any of it. And they just kind of played pass defense until they were forced to stop the run, which never really you know happened. And But you're, you're looking at a wide receiver core and a quarterback that's going up against a lot of seven-man backfields. Like they're pressuring with Bohr keeping seven back in coverage. Everything's completely contested. You know, a lot of press on the outside. Receivers are struggling to some extent getting off that. But even when it's in zone, same thing. you got seven guys to go against. You're rushing four and you're getting home with four because guys can't protect up front. You try to run the ball and you can't run the ball whatsoever. They did a little bit in this game. Could argue maybe they should have done a little bit more in this game. But overall, it's just, it, it is so really, it, it's so tough to try to put together anything on offense that you can hang your hat on when again, you can't block up front. They're keeping seven behind the ball. And even if you pass short, everyone's rallying to the football and making the easy play. Yeah, it is. It is just an absolute grind. And they, there's a lot more questions than there are answers at this point. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no easy fix. There's no switch to be flipped. This is a, what started as a snowball at the top of the mountain and that thing's a boulder right now and forget turning it around, how they're going to stop it is like you said, it's in question. So I, I know you posted uh, out on X or Twitter or whatever the heck we want to call it. Um, some of the comments from Tucker craft and as to why there may be a little bit better in the second half than the first half, I'll kind of let you take it from there. Yeah. So uh, in, in short, what Tucker craft said was, you know, in response to a question of, all right, Struggling in the first half, but in the third quarter and the second half in general, they're one of the uh, best scoring offenses in football. And Kraft said, and I think this definitely gives us some insight into what the locker room, at least on, you know, in that offensive side is experiencing with so much youth is that he said they're getting, you know, by that time you got 20, 25 snaps under your belt. Like you have a better idea of what the safety rotation look like, how guys are going to defend you, you know, from the offensive lines perspective, what blitzes, what stunts might look like. And you know, and and just having that comfortability with it, um, he said from his perspective that that certainly helped him in the second half of the game. You just have a better understanding of what's coming at you, and I think that really, really speaks to the youth of this team. And I think that really added some perspective around it. And again, like I mentioned earlier, that does not excuse the first half performance that we're seeing, but that is absolutely a factor in sort of what's taking place in the first half. And this is just me pontificating on it, but I do wonder, you know, they've come out of halftime, they're down multiple scores. Like it's now or never at that point. I do wonder as well from a play calling standpoint and what the floor is asking them to do. Like we meant, I mentioned earlier about maybe overthinking a little bit early on, like does at that point, backs against the wall like do the training wheels come off a little bit and you're like all right we just got to run we got to yeah. run our offense we just got to figure we just got to try to string some plays together and Matt LaFleur even said in that second half against Denver they were they were much more uh, aggressive in that second half although that's a relative term it you know being more aggressive than what they were in the yeah. first half it didn't take a whole lot but nonetheless I do wonder if that's a component of it where it's a little more caution to the wind because you're down two scores that they just kind of roll out there with their offense and I think in general both love and the floor you know we hear the floor use the term let it rip like both of them have to let it rip like Matt LaFleur like run your offense and not to say that he isn't but again Denver was all over that that what the receivers routes were and in part that's again they got seven guys in coverage but 
you know, is that because this is a bit of a more, and you can speak to it better than I, but is this more of a kind of a vanilla version of what they're doing right now? Because they're just trying to do the simple things. They're just trying to execute on what the fundamentals are, get those things right, and then start building on it. But you get to the second half, and again, it's maybe it's caution to the wind to, to a degree where they start running uh, a little bit more aggressive version of it. And you know, takes advantage of what's available to them. And for Jordan Love, that let it rip perspective, you know, I think it was two preseasons ago. Like that was Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett's biggest thing with him. And let it rip doesn't mean just heave the ball downfield for the sake of doing so. But when you go through your progressions, you see the window open, fire it, let it go, trust what you see. And early on in the summer or throughout the summer and early on in the season, man, that's what he was doing. I'm sure I think we I know we talked about it at practice, but that was one of the things that was like so impressive about like where he was given his lack of experience was just that willingness and knowledge of like, all right, when to fit it into the window, when to push it downfield, when to continue through the progression. And you wonder if the play of the offensive line, the receivers, just again, the routes being off, the drop passes, if that's created some hesitancy on his part to now where he's looking for like that perfect throw or like that perfect opportunity to take advantage of. Or I do wonder if on the opposite side of things, it's leading to maybe some predetermined decision-making. Um, and I, the example that I'll use is that fade fade uh, route to Romeo Dobbs in the end zone. Uh, Matt LaFleur said after there was a screen option available, Jordan Love said that he liked the the fade route. And of course he does. It's the same play. Matt LaFleur said that they hit against New Orleans. So you have that play that you found success on. Your screen game has been abysmal this season to where maybe even before snap or early on in the snap, you're like, that's where I'm going with the ball. Even though if you go back and watch the play, Aaron Jones is in space. He's got two blockers ahead of him. Like if he goes through that progression and you know starts where he should or finishes where he should, like is that the play that – ends up being the right call. Does they get the first down in that situation? You know, we can go down, you know, through Pandora's box here and all these different scenarios. But I think that's an example of the, you know, not letting it rip in terms of you're either hesitant or you're going in there kind of predetermined. All right, here's what I'm going to do with the ball. And to Matt LaFleur's points in his post-game press conferences, when you're not losing all of those, or when you're not winning, excuse me, all of those things get magnified. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if, or like he, you know, when he hits the throw to Romeo Dobbs, nobody cares that the screen was open mm-hmm. and like exactly. that he could have gone to the screen. It's like, oh, you hit the throw to Dobbs. That's great. It, but you just when when you're losing and those things don't go in your favor and you potentially lose points because of it, that those are things that are going to get nitpicked to death, which understandably so. I, I think you brought up like the, you know, in the first half, are they going to vanilla? It's just like this is a complete dog chasing its tail moment because you, they start doing some of the advanced stuff and they clearly can't run it. I mean, they're still running wrong routes on the vanilla stuff. Like these mm-hmm. are basic stick routes, the same routes that Musgrave is getting messed up one week. Watson's getting mixed up yep. the next week. It's like, they don't have the basics down. So it's really hard as a coach to be like, yeah, let's go to, you know, the, the 401 version of the offense mm-hmm. when 101 isn't even remotely close to being mastered. And then, but like at the same token, you just run the vanilla stuff and the defense is all over and it's like, all right, well, now we got to try to like, you're just this constant dog chasing its tail. And the one positive that I will say about this, you can tell these guys care. You can tell they want to go out and, and do well and do their best and, and come back and win because they have fought back in every one of these games. They they fought back, even though it was, well, they fought back against the Saints and got the win. They fought back a little bit against Detroit in that third quarter to at least get it to within like, you know, punching distance. And then, you know, Detroit was able to kind of put it away after that, but they did make a little run there in the third quarter 
they, you know, make the the run against the, the Raiders and they're in that game against the Raiders. They make the run, you know, at the end, they, they go and take the lead in this last game. So they're fighting back They're They're, they are, they're caring. They're, they're doing everything they, they can. They're not quitting. And it's just, it's, there's not a, like we said earlier, there's not a lot of answers to the questions right now. And you can tell everyone's going through it. Everyone's probably overthinking and there's probably a lot of paralysis by analysis going on right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's only going to keep compounding as this continues. Speaking of things compounding, let's talk about more good news. We found out this week Darnell Savage is going to probably miss, you know, maybe two to three weeks. Who knows? Could be more, could be less. We'll have to wait and find out. Um, as far as I saw, I don't think we saw any transactions for the Packers on Tuesday. We did find out Justin Hollins uh, signed with somebody's practice squad. I'm, I'm not remembering. Giants. 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 All right. So Giants practice squad. So Hollins is officially gone. Patrick Taylor last week officially gone to, I think it was the Patriots practice squad. Um, but Darnell Savage now going to be out a few weeks. I'm assuming this is probably going to lead to Jonathan Owens teaming with Rudy Ford at safety, but your thoughts on Savage being out and how they might address that position. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be Owens next to Savage and, you know, Savage, he's, he's still having his ups and downs, but he's at least flying around this year. Like we're seeing him around the line of scrimmage a lot more. He just seems much more willing to make tackles. Um, I know, PFF tracks their their run stop rate. He ranks 17th among safeties. I think it's like 60 or 65 of them in that run stop rate metric. Like there's definitely been more of a willingness there on that, on his part. Um, still not making plays on the ball in coverage, missed tackles, which have always been an issue for him. Um, still, you know, a, a bugaboo at this time of his career. You know, Jonathan Owens, hopefully you know, can continue, can provide some stability from a, a tackling perspective. I know last season, his first year as a starter with Houston, that was kind of his calling card. He was very reliable in that regard. But based on the what we saw in the preseason, a little bit here in the regular season, that, that hasn't carried over as well. So, you know, <laughs> what the potential drop-off is at the position, you know, that's to be seen. I think, and, you know, if it, without Savage, or if Savage does go to, to IR, because I think Rob Demosky mentioned that that could be a possibility depending on the how long he's going to be out. If I were to guess, I would think that that could be an opportunity to bring up Corey Ballantyne. Um, he's out of elevations at this time. Uh, you know, Stokes had the hamstring injury. We don't know what Jair status is going to be moving forward. So he provides some depth at cornerback, but I think also important is with Owens taking on a larger role on defense for the time being, uh, Ballantyne can take some of those special team snaps. Owen has the third most special team snaps on the team. Ballantyne, that was his that was his calling card last season. You know, from week ten on, he was a core special teams player. Um, thought throughout the summer that could be a you know his path to making the fifty three man roster this year. So if Savage does end up you know out on IR and there's a roster spot open, I would that would be my guess on how they go about filling that void for the time being. I would think it'd be him, maybe an Innis Gaines too, who actually does have some of that safety experience as well. Um, could maybe be a depth piece at safety. Also, wouldn't hate just the way that things are going with Keyshawn right now to maybe get an extra look at Innis Gaines as just a nickel guy. Not, I'm not saying full time, but mm-hmm. maybe just a handful of snaps, see what he's got there. Maybe just take a little bit off of Keyshawn's plate, so he's maybe not having to do quite as much. Um, and obviously, of course, special teamer as well. But they're, they're going to have to make, I think, some interesting moves this week. We already saw again, Hollins is gone. Um, but with all the injured bodies on this roster, like they're just running out of people to go out and play. So we could see some players that have to go on IR just because they need the, sp- the spots to add people from the practice squad. It wouldn't shock me if they were extra cautious with Eric Stokes, especially him just coming back. 
that they give him the, you know, another, and it would suck to bring him back from pup, play a handful of special team snaps and then put him on IR. But that might be a decision they have to make. Savage could be another one. Hopefully these guys aren't out long-term, but if they're even thinking it could be four weeks, like I think you almost have to make the move, be extra cautious and just get some active guys that are healthy on the roster because they, they desperately need some bodies right now. Absolutely. All right, a couple last things before we get you out of here. Uh, Justice and I, I know, have been been banging the drum, but I know I think you wrote an article on it as well on Dontavian Wicks and maybe needing to see a little bit more playing time out of him. We we went all the way back when we talked, you know, at training camp and some of the things that he was doing when he was healthy in camp. Of it, just it looked different. He had a he had a way of getting open. It's something that carried over from college into his time in camp. It's now carried over to the regular season, but your thoughts on Dontavian Wicks? Yeah, he's got a really advanced, you know, release package at the line of scrimmage for being a, a fifth round receiver, really refined route runner. And I, I still remember, I, I think it was family night and we we're up in the press box, you know, when you get that kind of all 22 view of what's going on in the field where you can really see him in action. And that was my first, you know, wow moment of kind of seeing that, that or his route running up close and his ability to create space. You know, he doesn't have that blazing. Christian Watson, Jaden Reed type speed, but man, he knows how to create separation, create yards after the catch. He currently ranks 28th among all receivers and average yak this season. And, you know, that's what the Packers need right now. They need someone who can create space, pick up some yards after the catch, take some of that playmaking burden off of Jordan Love's shoulders. And, you know, Wicks has 174 snaps this season. Samori Toure has 98. Like, that's where his, you know, larger share of playing time should be coming from because it's decreased, obviously, with the return of of Christian Watson. And like I said, he doesn't have that, that uh, blazing fast speed. But in college, he's someone who won downfield, again, because of his route running. As a junior, averaged over 20 yards per catch, ranked 11th among all receivers in receiving yards on passes of 20-plus yards. Like, that last play of the game, that interception where Love was looking for Toure, like, that should be Dontavian Wicks running that route. And just spoke earlier on the importance of getting that, you know, deep ball going, like give him some of those opportunities to, to win downfield, uh, you know, that flea flicker that they did in the Atlanta game, you know, give him those opportunities just to provide that spark because he has the skill set. And from what he's put on uh, tape so far uh, during the opportunities he's gotten, you know, he's earned additional opportunities and also you know, could be the common theme for what on the offensive side of the ball, but also why not? Yeah. Also, 100% passer uh, complete uh, completion percentage as a yes, passer, <laughs> uh, and really a tenacious blocker as well, which mm-hmm. is really really fun. He he's just he's too good not to have on the field, and there's just not very many of those players playing at that level right now. And he is, and he's my second highest graded player on offense in very minimal snaps. I'd like to see what that looks like in more snaps because I think it's only going to get better the more and more playing time he gets. Yeah. So feed me Dontavian Wicks. I need more and more of it, please and thank you. Last but not least. One last question. How should the Packers treat this trade deadline, Paul Brettel? <laughs> That's a great question. And, you know, I, I was thinking through this and initially I was a little torn on it because, I mean, given how the season's going, you know, it could be, you know, hey, get, you know, trade. I know you had mentioned uh, Razul Douglas or, you know, Keyshawn Nixon, Preston Smith, you know, veteran players who, you know, may not be around next season. And so that opportunity is definitely there. And, if I were GM, and luckily I'm not, but if I were, you know, of course, one, they should listen to any offer. Someone picks up the phone and says, hey, I want to talk about so-and-so. Take the call, see what they have to say. They should absolutely be doing that. 
But I think I'm standing pat. And ultimately, my my reasoning for that is because this year is about evaluating Jordan Love. And this roster is already making it difficult to truly do that, given what's around him on the offensive side of the ball. And even if we're talking about Preston Smith or Rezul Douglas or someone on defense, like that affects Jordan Love. Your defense is now worse. You're already trailing in most of these games. If your defense is worse, you might be trailing by you know more scores than what you already are. So what does that do? That takes away your ability to lean on the run game. That puts more pressure on the offense, on Jordan Love to go out there and pass. You're now in predictable situations. Like All of this is tied together, and if the defense is struggling or the defense gets worse because of a trade you made, that's going to impact the offense, and that's going to impact you know what you're seeing from Jordan Love and trying to get a true evaluation on on him. And also, you know, with the guys that they do have to or could potentially trade, like there isn't this you know they're not going to get a, a top 100 pick, or at least I don't think so, a top 100 pick back in return. So they've had what 20 plus draft picks the last two years. Like to me, there's enough youth on this team to where you know getting a six round pick or a fifth round pick, a late day three pick, like it, it doesn't move the needle for me. I would rather ride out the season with who I got and try to have the best team that I can around Jordan Love. Now I'm not acquiring anyone. I want to make that clear, but I want to make sure that I have the best team around him with who I have. Like this is just, this is the Packers reality right now. You know, we yeah. may not like it, but this is where they're at. And it's one of those things where you just got to you know, make the best out of the situation that they're in. And again, getting rid of guys, you know, big name guys, like I just mentioned, even on the defensive side of the ball does not do that. Now, one name I will throw out, if they have like, if they do not plan on, you know, putting Yash Naiman in the mix at all for the offensive line, like why not at that point? Like if he's not, if they're like set on, nope, we're riding it out. This is our five. I get obviously injuries depth. He provides that value, but if he hasn't gotten on the field yet and they don't see a path for him, he's a free agent after this season. Obviously, at that point, he's not in the mix for the future. Like that's, I guess, if we're going to throw a name out there, that's one that I'd be listening to, so to speak. Yeah, that's where I was kind of thinking as well, and sort of under a similar sort of thought process of like what I think I might try to do is look at some of those players who aren't going to be back, and maybe I know these don't happen very often in the NFL, but maybe you know just say no, we're not interested in your seventh round pick. What we would love is to, you know, maybe get a player that a player back in return that maybe isn't a huge part of that other team's rotation that it maybe has two years or three years left under contract mm-hmm. and that you can get a look at for the remainder of this season. Well, hopefully, hopefully that you can still develop them rather than a player like a Yash Nyman or an AJ Dillon or someone like that who might be gone in the offseason. A, a player that comes to or like a trade that comes to mind, and I'm not saying this is a, a perfect, you know, scenario here, but like. Uh, let's say the Jets do want to have some additional offensive line depth or a player that they could potentially play out there. And they are interested in Yash Nyman. All right, well, how about Michael Carter, the running back, who's not exactly super involved in their rotation, who is a, he's not having the greatest year, but he's got a couple years of team control and he was a really fun player coming out of college. And he's kind of buried right now between Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall. They also got Israel Abanaconda, who they spent a draft pick on this year. So they've got four running backs on the active roster and again, he's kind of buried there right now. And I'm sure they'd like to get a Bonaconda some playing time as well. And they just can't. All right. How about Yash for uh for Michael Carter and and kind of just get a new running back 
in the mix and maybe somebody who can turn out, they get the offensive tackle, just something like that. I'm not saying that's a perfect, you know, one for one scenario. Maybe you have to throw in a seventh round pick one way or the other. I don't care, but like something like that, where maybe you can get a look at a couple players for the remainder of this year, see if they fit with your team, see if a change of scenery, maybe does that player well, maybe it works for the other team. You're still gaining players who can help you this year. It doesn't have the same connotation of a sell of like, oh, well, there goes Preston Smith, mm-hmm. Yash Nyman, AJ Dillon, whomever else. And they just sent them off for, you know, 2026 20, seventh round picks. I know what this team's thinking. They don't believe like now it's like, all right, well, they sent some players out, but they weren't playing much anyway. Now we got some new players in and let's see what those guys can do. I think it just maybe changes the dynamic up a little bit. Yeah, I I, I agree with I, I love that approach. It's just, you know, with all the youth on this team, like getting another sixth round pick, another seventh round pick like that, that doesn't do it for me. And at the end of the day, all these guys are they're pros, you know, players come and go. But with such a young team, I, I do wonder what that could do to a locker room. Maybe maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just conversation on our end. But I do wonder if like one of those core veteran guys, which aren't a lot of, um, were to be gone, like if there would be any, you know, negative repercussions of that, you know, throughout the rest of the team, always something you got to factor in as well. Yeah. Never, ever, ever take my advice when it comes to making bets or gambling on anything. It's, it's the worst. In fact, always do the opposite. But my one thing that I've ever had success on is always uh, bet against or bet uh, against a team who just traded away a player before their next game, whether it's in the NBA or NFL or something, usually that goes very well. If they just traded away a player and do the vice versa, if a team just traded for a big player, there's usually a ton of excitement and energy around that player bet on that team. And usually things go decently well. And like I said, now do the opposite of what I said, because I usually get everything wrong when it comes to that realm. But Paul, amazing, amazing stuff as always. Uh, where can we find all of your work and uh, plug anything that you've worked on recently? Appreciate it, Andy. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Uh, hit subscribe on YouTube, Paul Brettel channel, and find all my work over at Packers Wire. And yeah, make sure to go check out his written work, his YouTube channel. All of it's absolutely incredible. You will not be disappointed. Love chatting with Paul here every single week on the Packaday podcast as well. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Wednesday night, Pack-A-Day Live, going to be joined by Camille Davis as well as Aaron Nagler. That is one you are not going to want to miss, so make sure to check that out. But until next time, and as always, go Pack-Go.